My name is Jackson McInerney. You're listening to Stick Together on 3CR and broadcast around Australia on the Community Radio Network. The climate debate in Australia has been one characterised by profound levels of government inaction. So often, this lack of committed change at an institutional level is excused by a profit commitment to the fossil fuels industry and the workers it supports. Government officials love to talk, often erroneously, about the numbers of people relying on coal for their incomes. In truth, thermal coal workers make up just 0.29% of so-called Australia's 13 million employees. The political clout of this relatively tiny industry worker-wise comes from the billions of dollars of dirty profit that flows into the coffers of wealthy executives and shareholders. Much effort from the ruling classes goes into painting the myopic picture of what work is, the exchange of labour for capital to the benefit of a powerful few. Last week, we witnessed work of a different kind. The full-time hard work of environmental activists from Blockade Australia was on display in Newcastle as they shut down the biggest coal port in the world for 11 consecutive days from the 8th to the 18th of November. We're lucky to be joined now by Emma from Blockade Australia, who has been with the group through these actions, which use lock-ons, tripods, abseiling attachments and machinery shutdowns to stop the bigger machine for more than a week. Emma, can you talk a little bit about why you're doing this work? Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Jackson. Um, uh, so I'm doing this work because um, you know, I've come to the realisation that the climate crisis and broader systemic crisis um, that we're in uh, is not going to be changed or brought down by electoral politics or um, system, uh, you know, solutions within the system because, you know, it is creating the problems itself. So, um, you know, people have formed a collective uh, called Blockade Australia um, that is uh, organised offensive resistance um, to Australia um, and its extractive, exploitative regimes um, and, and, you know, the climate crisis that it's causing. Um, and so lots of people, uh, including myself, have, you know, given up their um, lives and jobs. You know, I was a midwife and left my job to do this work full time because, um, you know, it, it's uh, unpaid and it's hard, but um, the solutions aren't going to come from within. And um, obviously this work is never going to be paid and valued under the, the system, which is devaluing life itself and its actions. How do you think the coal industry impacts workers in this country? We hear that a lot in the mainstream press. Did you did you run into any coal workers during these actions? Funnily enough, no, ran into very few workers. There's obviously the train drivers. There's usually a couple of them. Um, uh, they usually work in the mines um, themselves. And then at the port, there's... Um, pretty much no workers it's all automated there's massive monstrous machines which are loading millions of tons of coal ripped from the earth to be um, exported uh, and they're all automated um, you know pushed uh, you know people um, pushing buttons um, in a room far away control lots of machinery um, and so that takes very few workers. And then the only workers at the port really are the security who are there to, you know, protect this exploitative extractive supply chain. So, yeah, unsurprisingly, very few workers um, in, in the industry. Yeah, I mean, I think it is surprising from the rhetoric that's deployed by politicians about 
co-workers. But yeah, um, it was a, a feature of the footage that Blockade Australia have been broadcasting that there was nobody in the background of the activists, maybe a few security guards, as you say. And it's a frightening factor of capitalism around the world that, you know, one of the jobs you always see advertised is military and police and jailers. You know, these are the, these are the careers that are on offer uh, to, to the young. You know, I think it's a, a striking feature. Yeah, that's right, because they're the, you know, enforcement arms of this, of the system, you know, to, um, because I, I guess, you know, from the beginning, people have been resisting this, you know, extractive, exploitative system since colonisation, um, you know, 250 years ago, and, and before that, you know, across the world. Um, and um, people, it didn't make logical sense to treat the land in the way that we do and to treat people in the way that we do. And so, you know, we need all these, like, you know, um, paid incentivized gang members like police um, and politicians and the rest of them that kind of, you know, enforce these draconian laws which don't make any sense. They're prioritising, um, you know, ripping up this earth um, over, over caring for, you know, what sustains us. So I just want to play a bit of audio from Hannah, who suspended herself from a stack of reclaimer, which moves coal from trains to boats in Newcastle, as she explains how she made up her mind to do this action. This is humans trying to survive. This is humans trying to overcome the system that is killing us, that is enslaving us. And we're trying to induce the social tipping points, which will give us a chance at another generation. <laughs> what a wild thing to want. If we can be brave, then I reckon we've got the upper hand. And we have to be brave. I was thinking about this the other night. I was like, yeah, definitely scares me, the thought of running through piles of coal, getting, you know, followed by a police helicopter. That's not fun. That sounds terrible. But you know what scares me more? I just think back to New Year's Eve when I, I thought I was going to die in a fire that's caused by climate change. And that's the barest glimpse of what's going to happen. So Hannah's description there of the 2019-2020 bushfires is familiar to far too many people. In the shadow of these catastrophic fires and after all the collective gasping and cooing at COP26. What's your sense of the urgency of this matter? Yeah, I think that the number of um, disasters that these, you know, once in a lifetime rare natural disasters supposedly that people have lived through um, and, and are living through right now um, and, and then just like the, you know, uh, yeah, absolute joke that COP26 is like... Um, kind of proves the responsibility um, that we have to take this work into our own hands. Um, you know, the people at COP26 who are, are, are causing these problems, we're never really going to come together and 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 just, like, magically change their attitudes at this conference, um, you know, when they've been intentionally, um, you know, extracting and exploiting, you know, land for profit and viewing everything um, in this like capitalist framework. Um, and uh, yeah, so they were just never really gonna create solutions that were gonna give us a way forward. Um, it's interesting, isn't it, that there's so much language um, about criminal activity, you know, like Hannah, you know, spoke there about her fear of being chased over coal stacks, but you know, the retribution of the state doesn't end there. You know, the so-called environment minister of all people 
in New South Wales, Matt Keane, called for activists to have the book thrown at them in court and Labor's opposition police spokesperson, Walt Saccord, supported the creation of a special task force to deal with environmental activists. And the charges that have been laid against members of your organisation are really intense. You know, they're like intent to kill or injure a person on a railway, for example, and, and carry prison sentences of up to 25 years. Why do you think these types of actions frighten the ruling class so much? Yeah, great question. I think um, I think because they're very effective um, where, you know, we're doing politics in a different way um, and we're using collective action that they don't have a mechanism um, to really uh, stop at the moment. Um, you know, we saw them try with the task force and things, but people and, and all these um extra charges and other repression tactics that um, you mentioned and more uh, and people continue taking action because, you know, like you said before, um, this is so urgent, um, you know, in response to what you actually mentioned earlier is like um, and why this is so urgent, the people involved who are continuing despite this repression, you know, multiple people involved in um, this like I'd say half a dozen or so of, um, you know, the 28 people arrested have had to actually are in their 20s and have had to flee their homes multiple times because of um, bushfires, because of floods, um, you know, and and lived through them multiple times, you know, uh, and, you know, people in the Pacific Islands are, you know, having to rebury their dead who are washing up on the shores because because of ocean um, level rises. So, you know, yeah, they they tried all these repression tactics because I think these these things are very effective where actually um, we're targeting like strategic uh, economic and political bottlenecks. And when I say economic, I don't just mean money. I mean the actual supply chains of how the economy functions. Um, I don't think we can beat them on capital, on money. Um, they're always going to have more money than us. So, but what we're doing is actually affecting their supply chains so that they can't function and their extractive, exploitative systems cannot function. So they tried heaps of different repression uh, tactics to, to stop this. Um, they had this task force had helicopters out. It had police dogs out. They were giving people those ridiculous sentences. And it's not really something that we expect to stick in the courts, but it's something that they're using to scare people out of further action. You know, they raided people's homes um, who, who weren't even involved in this. Um, they seized people's cars and they did pain compliance techniques on people who were immobilised or um, locked on, um, you know, all kinds of different things. And they're, they're all just scare tactics and it all just proves that the, the state doesn't know how to deal with this or stop it from happening. So they're just going to kind of scare you out of trying to do it. But the reality of the situation is that the crisis that we're facing is so much scarier and will result in so much more suffering and death than um, yeah, what we're facing now and what we will face because of this action. Yeah, it's, it's really inspiring. I recommend uh, everybody checking out the blockadeaustralia.com website where you can read stories and quotes from all of these people. You know, I think there were 20 act actions over the 11 days. Is, is that right, Emma? Yeah, that's right. There was, um, you know, anywhere between one to three actions each day, which targeted the rail line going into the world's largest coal port, Newcastle coal port, or in the port itself. Um, so, yeah, for, for most of the 20 days, I'm sorry, 11 days, um, 
and the 20 actions, the, that supply chain was out of action. You know, it only took you know, about um, 28 people kind of putting their bodies on the line um, and getting in the way of those in extractive industries to do that. Yeah, it's really interesting what you say too about economic bottlenecks. Like, as you say, uh, it's it's a complicated process to take on international finance and capital and, you know, the way they can redirect funds and, and redirect ships and, and whatever. But if you can stop people in mines, you know, receiving critical supplies or supplies from reaching port, you know, that, that can be a... Uh, a really profound impact on their profit, but also just their their functioning. And we've seen that historically too with, you know, actions uh, and secondary boycotts around uh, ports and, you know, stopping medical supplies and, and, and things like that to really uh, put the squeeze on the system. Uh, uh, I wonder what you guys have planned next, if you wanted to talk about that. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, so next we are going to Sydney. That is from the June 27th to July 2nd. So there will be a week of yeah organised direct action in Sydney. Again, um, we'll be targeting kind of like economic supply chain choke points that really affect the flow of resources or capital or the system from functioning um, because that is unfortunately what we need to do to stop what is happening. Can I ask, it's a newish organisation, Blockade Australia. It seems to be deploying some similar tactics to Extinction Rebellion that have been running for a few years now. What's the kind of reason for the creation of Blockade Australia and how does it differ from that organisation? Yeah, I think... Um, it's, you know, quite different because we, uh, I mean, obviously there are, you know, similarities across um, direct action tactics, um, you know, the, the world over and groups over. They use a lot of similar tactics, but obviously that's kind of a, you know, prominent one um, in the environmental sphere. But I think where Blockade Australia um, uh, differentiates is the, you know, effective um, sorry, the offensive um, tactics on those like economic and political uh, bottlenecks and supply chains. And so rather than we're necessarily just disrupting or, or doing actions, a direct action wherever you are, it's actually going, we need to, um, we're, we're creating mobilisations so that go, that are, that are spaced out with organising time in between to build power and um, and then have uh, disruptive mobilizations that will, you know, uh, increase in, um, you know, uh, uh, capacity like numbers and, and frequency and, and the duration that it's able to go for as well. Um, and, you know, we're, we're doing, yep, yeah, so we're doing these periodic mobilizations that um, target these kind of choke points and going, we can't just necessarily mobilize where we are, we need to pick the you know biggest target um, that has the it, that is the most effective and going to affect um, you know the system in Australia the most and so um, we've started with the world's largest coal port and next we're going um, to Sydney um, which is uh, pretty much in the heart of um, where colonisation and these like this extractive exploitative system began on this continent. Is there any specific targets in Sydney or is that something you're kind of not discussing at this stage um yeah it's something that I can't really discuss at the moment you know Barnaby Joyce has uh suggested uh shutting down the Sydney Harbour Bridge so you know but who, who knows really um yeah we won't be 
saying just yet. But if people kind of do want to get, um, you know, more involved and find out more, we are doing um, uh, an online info night uh, soon on the 24th of November. And so that's actually tonight when this will go to air. So that's tonight for listeners. Oh, okay, great. Yep, yeah. So tonight, 7 p.m. And there'll be a bunch more in-person ones as well. Just check our um, website at blockadeaustralia.com or our socials on um, Facebook or Instagram. And um, we'll be doing some more in-person ones in like Sydney and Melbourne, Coffs, Brisbane, Newcastle, within the Northern Rivers and a bunch of different places soon. Yeah. And how are the spirits of those that are, are facing the courts? Like how are you supporting um, people after these actions? Yeah, so it's um, generally a, you know, very supportive community. Uh, unfortunately, some people have, you know, been just given ridiculous and repressive bowel conditions, which are intended to, you know, punish people and deter people. You know, some people were told to leave the state um, uh, whilst on bail. So, um yeah, obviously that's sad for um, people here and someone um, and, and for not being able to have that same community around. Um, and someone actually at the moment is still, has been remanded in custody and is going to court tomorrow. They were arrested um, last week. They'd already actually been remand, uh, held uh, illegally and just kind of with no explanation, no further court date um the the week before when they did an action um uh, standing on top of a coal train and then um yeah the next week they were also arrested uh near the port and they um yeah have been held in remand until their court date on monday so we're hoping they will be um out and with us then um they just didn't get sentenced at their last court date um so yeah it's it's just um ridiculous you know ridiculous but also expected when you have such um organized resistance uh to australia that australia would kind of deploy these oppressive tactics which they've always um deployed on people i mean australia was set up as a penal colony so yeah but um generally people are in good spirits and it's a very supportive community but um yeah obviously some heartache for those that can't be with us and are still you know in prison in a prison cell right now Mm. Mm. yeah it's honestly horrendous how many people are in prison uh, in prison just awaiting their sentence to be heard or awaiting trial at the moment in Australia. It's criminal. And, mm. um, you know, I, I'm sure lots of supporters around the country would like to help make bail for these people and support. And I think all of uh, you can make donations through the website. Is that is that correct, to support uh, your battle through the courts? Yeah, that's, that's right. Um, we have a chucked on the Blockade Australia website and on our socials. Um, that goes towards yeah various things organizing kind of this resistance yeah and we've got some um, yeah lawyers who are um, you know doing some pro bono work and um, helping these people out that that need it yeah awesome uh, well thank you so much for talking to stick together today Emma and thanks for you and your comrades work uh, out there in Newcastle and um, yeah all the best thank you so much for having me it's a great discussion Thanks very much for listening to this episode of Stick Together. My name's Jackson McInerney. After that interview, I was wondering whether there was a union for people engaged in direct action. And it turns out there is, in Ukraine anyway. It's called Direct Action, and it's a student union trying to fight for student rights. So take care, and remember, 
Whoever you are and whatever you do, there's a union for you. Stick together. We're going to go out with a little bit of music from Australian musician Jen Cloer. This is called Analysis Paralysis.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.